If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many who were, who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to, the Jeru- and to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent to Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance con- concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be deposed from her, from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! 
So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished, wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him go. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent, him, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. This is the word of the Lord. When I think about, um, you know, if, there's, if I had to come up with like a top five scenes I would love to see like replayed in real life, that, that would be a scene that I would love to have seen. That's pretty cool. Um, well, for those who are new, my name is Brian Mowry, the, the lead pastor here. And uh, for, for all of us, I just want to welcome us all back to the Acts series. We, we've taken a little bit of hiatus on the Acts series and had a few different things going on. And one of which was Duran. Uh, Scott came in and spoke last uh, week. And if you haven't heard that message, uh, you should hear that message. It was a big hit. It was such a big hit. I mean, I expect to come in and, and see like Bible, uh, bobblehead dolls being sold and like maybe T-shirts with his name on the back with... Um, you know, with all the sayings that he said last week, um, so, you know, spit and game on the back or something like that. And so um, anyway, we're going to get, we're, we got just a few more messages in the book of Acts. Paul goes to a few more uh, cities that, and we'll read about that. And then he dies and then the series will be over. And so we will do that. But before we get into the series, bring in the message today, uh, we've got a few things to celebrate. You guys up for celebrating a few things with me? It's actually, a, yeah, you are. You don't even know what it is. Is it? I don't care. Um, I'm going to flip a coin. We're all going to celebrate. We're, um, there are actually some really cool things happening uh, this week. The first thing, or one thing I should mention, is that Confluence, the family of churches that we're part of, uh, and our, our musicians from our very, very own Jubilee Church have put together an album, and it's releasing, it's releasing this Friday. So you guys all, you know, yeah. So if you haven't gotten that, I think you can pre-order it or, or get it in, in some of the songs we've already sang, but I, I, I was able to get a, uh, hear the whole album last Friday, and it is amazing. It is amazing. You, you should definitely, definitely get that. Uh, the second thing is that, that our location out in Kirkwood bought some property in, in Sunset Hills to, to build a building for themselves. They're meeting at a middle school um, gym. How many of you guys like middle school? Yeah, you guys are ready to get out. They are too. And so um, they, this Wednesday, they're, they're doing an, a, a for real, for real groundbreaking. We did a, a play one back in May with plastic um, shovels. Uh, but this time we are like going to do, we're going to get big machines and they're going to dig holes and excavate. You know, what, I don't know what you do when you excavate, but excavating is going to happen with big machines. That's happening this Wednesday. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I haven't even told you the best thing yet. I haven't even told you the best thing yet. Here's the best thing. Let me show you. A, it's not Seth, but let me show you a picture of Seth. Seth is our location pastor down at the lake. And that, that location, so we're one church with four different locations. And that location down at the lake, they've been serving into this prison. They've, been, they've had a door open into a prison where they've been able to preach the gospel. And this guy here right here, his name's Nolan, is a first convert that we've had uh, from prison. And he was released. And as soon as he was released from prison, uh, we baptized him, and uh, good things are going on in his life. He's, he's getting ready to go into rehab. He was uh, heavy into drugs and to gangs. But here's what we know. Here's what we know what's happened to him. His, the life inside of him, the spirit of him, he is, he, is the, he is now a new creation. The old is gone. He's completely good. We need to celebrate that. That's awesome. I pray that it continues. 
pray that it continue. And if you feel like it, if you're friends with Seth or know, you go ahead and encourage them on Facebook and say, hey, we're praying for you. They keep going. We're excited for what's going on down at the lake. Um, okay, so when I, was, when I was in sixth grade, uh, President Ronald Reagan made a visit to my hometown in Columbia, Missouri, just to let you know how old I am. Uh, he's not president anymore. Actually, Columbia got a few different presidents to come through because of the university, even though it was only a town of maybe 60,000 uh, at the time. I don't know if you've ever had the president come to your town or if you've had anything like that, but it is a really big deal. I mean, the whole town shuts down. We got out of school, which is awesome. And... Um, uh, businesses shut down, everything shut down. People lined up his route, some to cheer, right? And some to protest. That happened back then too. And so we, you had the division there. So whether you liked him or whether you didn't like him, I mean, everybody noticed everything was affected, even those who are indifferent. I mean, just the third group, indifferent. If you were just like, I don't really care about the president, you know, bad or good, they couldn't drive their normal route because traffic was all rerouted and it's going to take forever. If they wanted to go shopping too bad, businesses are closed. And so everything was uh, affected. Business, education, traffic, everyone noticed because everything gets affected when the president comes to town. In Acts 19, the gospel comes to town and everybody notices and everything is affected. Business is affected. Religion was affected. Finance was affected. A riot occurred and a city was turned upside down. How do you know? How do you know if the gospel has come to a city, to a neighborhood, to a heart? Everything gets turned upside down. An uproar happens. A riot happens. Um, what's the worst thing that can happen to a church? I think about that sometimes. I know you guys are busy with soccer and, and Netflix, but like, I think about questions like that. I, I, what would be the worst thing that would happen to a church? And um, a couple weeks ago, I was with um, a, a man, a pastor from, from China, and uh, we're part of a global movement um, affecting 89 different nations, and we, we have this annual gathering uh, in Cyprus, and this is a couple. We're having lunch, and I'm asking him through an interpreter uh, how his, things are going. And he says, well, I got a call this morning that the government is shutting down our church. And then he went and had a swim. And I was like, wait, are you okay? And, uh, and he was actually fine. He's just like, you know, yeah, we, we knew this would happen and it's not a big deal. It's not the worst thing that can happen to us because the gospel is unstoppable. And, um, and I thought to myself, like, oh my gosh, like, like if, if we don't have coffee one week, like this is going to be bad news. I mean, it's just like... That'd be terrible. That'd be a terrible sign. Are you thinking about like, oh, you know, somebody said something bad about us or, oh my goodness, they took away our tax exempt status. Could that be the worst thing that could happen to a church? The worst thing that could happen to a church is that nobody cares. Nobody notices because the gospel creates, as we saw, no little disturbance. When the gospel comes to town, everybody notices. Everything gets affected. Everything is turned upside down. You see, when, when you become a Christian, you, you don't invite in Jesus, you know, I want you to go over here and have a nice little seat on the couch. And you just, he comes in and he moves things around. He, he, he knocks a few things down. And he begins to um, resurrect a, a, an entirely new life. If you're reading the Bible quietly in a chair with a cup of coffee and having, I mean, you're not reading the Bible right. If you can think about the gospel, what he has done for you, and you can't move, and, you, and you're like standing still. I mean, there's, 
we need to call a medic because there may be an issue. The gospel turns every the gospel turns everything upside down. And that's what we see here when Paul goes to Ephesus. Why did he go to Ephesus? Well, Ephesus was a major hub. I mean, kind of similar to St. Louis in the 1800s, you know, because of the Mississippi River, commerce, trade, regional city actually became a world city, uh, affecting city, but it's definitely a regional city. And so we're here in St. Louis. We want to plant a church in St. Louis. We have planted a church in St. Louis. We'll see more churches throughout the metro area and then beyond. That's what uh, Dylan and Rebecca are doing with Ryan and, and Deborah. And got your name right this time. And, uh, um, and then I think I call them Diane. Like I'm, I put their names together. You ever do that? Okay, so and Samantha and others are there playing a church in a key city in, in Kansas City and do the same thing. Plant a gospel outpost and then see the region filled up with churches and the gospel. And that's why Paul went to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, he meets three groups of people that are common in our world today that end up having their lives turned upside down. So I'm going to introduce you to these three groups and maybe just maybe it could apply to you. So in Acts 19, I'm not going to read this again, but just going to read a few, a few verses to help remind you. Here's the first group in Acts 1 through 7. And it happened and it, ha- and it happened while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, okay, then to what? Then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And so upon hearing about Jesus, they hadn't heard about Jesus yet, um, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So this first group of people that we can meet, you can describe as pro-God, but not fully connected. Pro-God, but not fully connected. This group is aware of God. They have a general understanding of who God is, but they did not get the memo about Jesus or the Holy Spirit. And so in terms of the Trinity, they were one out of three. They knew about John's message, but they didn't know about Jesus. What was John's message? Well, John, meaning John the Baptist, he was like the hippie guy who wore camel skin and ate locusts and honey, drove around in a VW bug. Like that was John. And he had a very simple message that helped people get started on their journey. It was a very simple message. In fact, it was one word. It was repent. It's like, you're wrong and you don't need to go in a different direction, which is a great start, but it isn't the whole message. John's role was getting people started on their journey, but most people were left to connect the dots. And I think there's a lot of people out here who have this vague understanding of who God is, and all that they know is that God is holy and right, and they fall way short, and that's essentially it. That's all that they know. But they don't always know about the love of Jesus that is made real to us by the power of of the Holy Spirit. They just know about, okay, God. this is who God is, but they don't know about the grace of Jesus. They don't know about the Holy Spirit that, that brings that home. Paul talks uh, about the importance of knowing of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and how those things work together in his letter to the Galatians. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, that is Jesus, born of a woman, just like us, born under the law, just like us, we... Uh, to redeem those who were under law, basically the law being the, the, the laws of God that, that we fall short of. And so we know that 
most the pro-God but not fully connected group is aware of God and they're, they're aware that they fall short. But what they don't know is that the, the, that the son was sent so that they can be adopted as sons, not as employees, not as slaves, but as sons. And because you are sons, this is what God does. God sent the Holy Spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In other words, he's saying that the Father sent Jesus to help us become sons of God, and he sent the Holy Spirit to make us feel like sons of God. See, God never intended for you just to have this vague connection with him where it's all head and no heart. Without a real connection to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it'll be like, I am a part of the Christian religion. And like you have this robotic head awareness of who God, but you're not feeling it. That's why you can hear facts about God. And quite frankly, you've grown bored of those facts. He wants you to, to feel it. He wants you to know that you are son of God through Jesus, not just because the Bible tells you me so, but the Holy Spirit is telling you over and over and over again in your heart that you are a beloved son, that you are a beloved daughter. In fact, every time you think about God, you don't think about this boss who's really demanding. You think about this father who loves you and inside of you wants to burst out, daddy. Think about the parable of the, the prodigal son. You could read about the whole story in Luke 15. And the story of the, the prodigal son is that the, 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 this father that represents God has these two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son wants his inheritance now and goes and blows it on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And he comes back, and uh, he quite sheepishly comes to his father and says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please treat me as a slave. And a lot of us have the, can have that kind of vague feeling of God, like I am not worthy to be uh, called a son. Oh, not me. And you kind of, she, she, maybe then, but not me. And so you, 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 you actually resist the idea that you would be a son or a daughter and you much prefer to be called a slave. Many of us, again, feel this way consciously or unconsciously. We feel like we've blown it. We don't measure up. We have lots and lots of ground to cover. And so church is, church is a place that you come to pay off your debt. You go to services to pay off your debt. You volunteer to pay off your debt. You help the poor to pay off your debt. You give money away to pay off your debt. Can I just give you some good news that will first crush you? Um, you, owe, you owe way more than that. I mean, I don't care how many shifts you do back in J-Kids. You, you owe way more than that. I don't care how much, what percentage of your income you are giving, you owe way more than that. It is worse than you thought. Many people come to me, Brian, I'm trying. I'm trying to connect with them. I'm trying. Here's your problem. You're trying. The whole point is you need to stop trying and receive what Jesus has given to you. He has given to you. He's the only one who can give to you full citizenship of heaven, full adoption as sons and daughters. He's the only one by his blood, by the, through the sacrifice of him, he's the only one. So it's not just having an awareness of God who is, oh yeah, I believe in God, he's good, and, and I'm not, and I've got to be a better person. And that's, that's a vague awareness of God. You need to come into relationship, become a son Become a son, but it's not just that. 
God's not just content that you know that you know that Jesus loves you objectively. He wants you to know that he loves you subjectively. He wants you to experience that. I mean, even in the, in the story of the prodigal son, if you go back and read that, when the father wanted to reassure, no, you are a son, he didn't go back in a study and say, hey, here's your adoption paper. He, he grabbed him, he hugged him, and he kissed him. He gave him an experience of his love. And that's what God wants to do with you. He wants to experience your love. He wants to, he, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is an experience of his love. The Puritans called it like, like waves of liquid love crashing over your soul. You see, when Paul, he's very serious about this point. He really wanted them to know that they know that they know that they know deep inside, down in deep in their knower that they were sons, that they were daughters, that they were loved. So he's, this is the Ephesians. So he writes a letter uh, back to them later on uh, called Ephesians. Imagine that. And, uh, and in chapter three, it says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. You need to know in that culture, Jewish men did not kneel. They stood and they prayed. And so by him kneeling, he's like, I really want you to know this. I need you to know this. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And here's what I want you to know. This is my prayer for you, that you would know the height, that you would know the width, that you would know the length, that you would know the depth of God's love for you. And this is how he said you're going to know it. You're going to know it by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Like you've got roots, you're, you've just got this source of love just going through you. You don't have to like remind yourself about it. It's just, it's just happening, it's just happening, it's just happening. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus wants to make you a son. He sends the Holy Spirit to make you feel like a son. What are you, where are you at today? Are you in that group? Like I kind of have a vague awareness of, of God and... Yeah, I know, I know, I need to get better. Man, know that you're a son. Enter a relationship. Enter into a familial relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, his son. And then know that you know that you know that you are a son through an experience of this. Maybe you need someone to lay hands. You may be a great, you need someone to lay hands on you today so that you would experience that. And then you need to, this experience that every single day. So that's the first group, pro-God, but not fully connected. The second group is intrigued but resistant. They are intrigued but resistant. This may be the biggest group on earth, and it's made up of people outside the church and inside the church. Let me let's take a look at them in verse 8 and 9. And then as he entered the synagogue, and for three whole months he spoke boldly, reasoning, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. You know, good He's a good, doing some good teaching. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, meaning like they wouldn't actually put it into practice, they're like, man, forget this. And they began speak, speaking evil of the way. The way is what they used to call Christians uh, before the congregation. Again, this is the biggest group on earth. This is people who see Jesus as a good teacher, but don't see him as Lord. You see this in the Gospels. If you go through the Gospels, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. There are four stories about the life of Jesus, and they're great to read, especially if you're new to your Bible. If you know where to start, man, read those. Those are awesome. And um, if you read through the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice that there's some, there's most people identify with Jesus as a good teacher. Big crowd. When he taught, big crowds, big crowds. But when he began to give out instruction, 
Hey, you need to live this way. You need to do this. Because of this, you need to do this. People left. People left. In fact, one time, you know, he fed the 5,000 uh, with, with women and children, maybe 20,000. And then he taught them. And then he told them what it really meant. And every single person left except those 12. And Jesus turns and says, are you guys want to leave too? And he says, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And there are many people throughout the scriptures who, who see Jesus as, as teacher, but not as Lord. And I could go, I mean, I'm going to give you two examples. The first one is with Zacchaeus. We know Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Uh, he was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, because Jesus, they saw him as a big, great teacher, but that's all he was. He was a big, great teacher, crowds, but he could not because he was small in stature. Now, commentators will say small in stature means somewhere under five feet. So truly, he was a wee little man. And so we... Um, I should be punished. Okay. And so Zacchaeus stood, you know, Jesus interacts with them, and he, because Jesus told him the gospel, he says to the Lord, behold, Lord. And because he called him Lord, he didn't just call him teacher, he called him Lord. He didn't just call him rabbi, he called him Adonai. And because of that, he says, this is the life change. Half of my goods I give to the poor, and I've defrauded anyone of anything, anyone of anything, anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Jesus said, today salvation has come to his house. Why? Because he, was, he gave away his money? No, because of the fact that he called him Lord. Let me show you the other one. This one to me is very stark and why this, this, should, be, this should startle you if you're in this camp. So this is the, the final meal of Jesus' last supper. This is the night before he goes to the cross. Jesus has 12 disciples and there was a bad one. There's one that didn't make it. There's one that, was, that betrayed him. And we all know who he is, is Judas, right? Boo, Judas. And, um, and as they were eating, he said to them, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Just to kind of get some table conversation going. And uh, they were like, we're very sorrowful. And began to say to them one after another, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? One after another. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me, Lord? Notice they were saying, Lord. And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now check this out. Judas said, it is I, is it I, not Lord, is it I, Rabbi? So here's a guy, here's a guy, one of the 12 who spent day and night with Jesus for three years. But he never could get past Oh, Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is somebody I want to be around. But Jesus is not someone that I call Lord. And that's what happened in this group in Acts. There were people who were hanging around. They were intrigued, but they were resistant in their heart. And it's a sober reminding for us because we live in the West where, I mean, there's just, I mean, we're fascinated with information. You know, so, so the church is a, is, a, is a place where I go and get me like a pep talk for the week. And I read the Bible for encouragement, you know, coffee, little magnet, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. With sheep. And I mean, it's just like, man, this is in the valley of the shadow of death. There should be like demons and, and 
negative things going on there. And this is, this is anyway, so we, we have this thought about what, you know, this is encouraging, this is, this is information and all that's helpful and that's good. And we, information, so we have this unlimited appetite for information with very little appetite for tran- transformation. See, the command of Jesus in Matthew 28 was to go into all the world and make disciples and not to teach them information. It was to teach them to obey. Um, it's a very dangerous pattern. This is a very dangerous pattern in your life. To hear or read the word, be convicted by that word, and do nothing. Read the word, be convicted by that word, and do nothing. Colossians 3, Paul says, I want the word of God to richly dwell in you. And do you know how the word of God richly dwells in you? He says it this way. He says, through teaching, yes to teaching, and admonishing, correction. Teaching and admonishing, teaching and admonishing. Because the goal is not to know. The, the, the goal is to know to be transformed. John 20, verse 31, in one of the Gospels. He says, these things are written so that you might believe. And through believing, you may have life in his name. The whole point of you knowing is so that you can believe. But why should you believe? So that you can live a different way. Notice that we weren't called, we were called the way, we weren't called the belief. We weren't called the knowledge. We were called the way, which I know sounds cultish. I know it sounds like Kool-Aid and weapons are involved, but like it, it, it just meant, it meant they were known for a way of living. That's why we, when we organize our groups, man, we love the Bible. We want the word of God to richly dwell in us. So we, we organize community groups around the word and relationship. Because unless you have someone in your life that you've deputized to admonish you, not just teach you, but admonish you, the word of God is not getting in there. Jesus said in John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a way of knowing the Bible that does not lead to blessing. It's by hearing the word, it's by being convicted by that word, and then doing nothing. Being intrigued by Jesus, but being obstinate to go where he wants to lead you. So you'll do this, but you won't do that. Man, the gospel turns everything upside down. It creates an uproar in your heart. Well, what happens when you, what is the fruit of really taking it on? Well, there's a group that took it on. There were some became obstinate, but there's a group that took it on. This is what they did. He says, also, there are many now where believers came. And this is what happens when you really don't just hear it, but live it. You confess and you divulge your practices, which means things change. It means you may get out of that relationship. It may mean that you may stop doing business the way that you're doing business. It may mean that your schedule looks different. They were confessing and they were divulging practices. And check this out. They they threw away the things that were getting in the way and they counted the value of them and they found it being it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, $7 million. 
So the word of the Lord continued to increase and mightily. So here's what happens. When the gospel really hits your heart is that you confess and that idols get repented of and you turn away from idols to the Lord. What is an idol? An idol is anything that promises joy and satisfaction above and beyond God. So I don't know if you watched the movie When Harry Met Sally, and I apologize for not uh, something more current, but it's the last time I watched a romantic comedy, okay? So um, President Reagan and, and, and I've been away for a while. Um, they're all the same, though, honestly, right? I mean, is there, are, they romantic, are they just different characters, same plot, same plot. So anyway, here's, there's this iconic, there's this iconic uh, crescendo or Harry, played by Tom Hanks, he said, when you realize that you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Oh, that's why it sells, man. That's an idol. An idol is anything, an idol is anything that if you think, if I get this, then I'll be happy. And if I can't have it, I've missed it. What might that be in your life? What is, your, what is it in your life that you think, if I can have that, I will be happy? Or if it gets taken away, my life is over. Which is why you have to protect it. So here's another thing about an idol. An idol is something you have to protect. So in this passage, it says, there is no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius a silversmith who sounds more like a Russian mob, Demetrius, but he, he, who made these silver shrines, silver shrines of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen. Then he gathered them together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but almost in all of Asia, Paul is persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours might come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. We got to protect this. And that's what you're like. You got got to protect this. So someone comes around, you say, man, I don't think that relationship is good for you. You got to protect it. It's an idol. So it's why nobody wants to hear a message about money. Why are you always talking about money? Well, A, we don't. It's just that when we do, it just really, oh, you got to protect it. What do you got to protect? Is it a relationship? Is it money? Is it business? Is it your job? Is it your education? What is it that you feel a little bit touchy about? Approval. Somebody snubs you. Here's the other thing. It requires sacrifice. You sacrifice for it. See, Artemis is a goddess of fertility, not just human fertility, but fertility in the ground. So it had agriculture, had to do with commerce, had to do with finance, had to do with wealth. So you would sacrifice the goddess of Artemis if you wanted a good business or if you wanted good finance. That's what they were talking about. And, um, and most of the sacrifice that people, a lot of the sacrifice anyway, was child sacrifice. And many of you are just, oh my goodness, child sacrifice. You know, thank goodness that doesn't happen today. 
Does it? Doesn't it? There are people who, for a career, will sacrifice their families. There will be people for a moment of pleasure will throw away their marriage. There will be people who, for personal happiness, will sacrifice their kids. There will be people for a relationship will sacrifice their integrity. There will be people for, to get ahead will sacrifice their integrity. You see, that's why it creates an uproar in our hearts. It's because these idols, you see, the, and that's why ultimately, too, they are demonic. There's a, there's a force, there's a spirit behind every idol. You see, because if we just come together and we just have nice, encouraging services and we treat Jesus as teacher, but he's not really Lord, the enemy will leave us alone. But as soon as you began to say, wait a minute, I'm going to confess that and turn from that, there'll be something inside of you that will shriek with horror. And then as a community of people who band together arm in arm, who will do that together, there's uproar in the neighborhoods and cities. And that's what God ultimately wants to do. See, Jesus, you see, the enemy's not going to care if we just have services. The enemy's not going to He's pff, harmless. When idols get threatened, there's an uproar in our hearts. When idols get confessed, there's an uproar in our city. And that's what we want to do. See, see if, you, if you go to your work and everybody there, everybody lies and cheats to get ahead, and it's just become normalized to you because it's what you have to do. It's the way, you just don't understand, it's the way that our business works. Now, you go and be different. You go and stand out. One thing will happen. There'll be something inside of you that'll die because you probably won't get promoted. Some things may go negatively for you, but not only that, everyone around you will be like, what's wrong with you? How come you're not doing what we're doing? And you may get maligned and you may get vilified. But others will take note and believe and confess and go right with you. And that's a choice that we all have to make. See, that's why it's so important, if you go back to first good, that you just don't have this vague sense of, you know, I'm pro-God, but I'm not fully connected. Because if you don't know about God's love, if you're not rooted and grounded in God's love, you won't do this. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. You know, I was in Ephesus. I've been in Ephesus. Pretty cool area. About a third of the city the ruins are still intact. It's very impressive. And I sat in that theater that gets talked about. It's a big theater. And the acoustics are amazing. I mean, they were brilliant people. And with some friends, we read Acts 19 there and, and yelled, how great is Artemis? And I remember just weeping, not because 
of what happened back then. But because of so many Christians in America are content to live a life of a cultured animal where we eat a little bit, we have a little bit of fun, we're comfortable, and then the dream would be one day we die like in our sleep, like nothing dramatic, just something in our sleep. And that's the life that we want. The life that God has for you is so much more than that. It's a little risky. It's a little dangerous. It'll create some excitement and danger. That's what you're made for. God has made you. God has made you to create an uproar in your neighborhood, in your town. One thing is for sure. You're not to be ignored. You're not to be benign, but you're to stand out. Philippians says we're meant to pop out like lights in a crooked generation. Or we can just continue to play church. It's your call. Let me stand.